Good morning, East Point. In case you are just joining us for the first time, we don't play with trains every week at East Point. Uh, but last week we started in on a new series as a part of our stewardship emphasis that is called Unstoppable. And so today we continue on our train theme, and I get to wear a funny hat because the Pope gets to wear a funny hat too, so why should he have all the fun? <laughs> on May 15, 2001, an error by a CSX locomotive engineer near Toledo, Ohio classification yard allowed locomotive number 8888, later dubbed Crazy Eights, to become a runaway train. It had 47 cars behind it, of which 22 of the cars were fully loaded, including two tank cars containing thousands of gallons of molten phenol, a toxic substance. While the, incidents was, while the incident was made into a movie, which of course was called Unstoppable, uh, and was highly dramatized, the real incident is both scary and heroic enough. But the train was actually headed south towards Columbus in real life and reached a top speed of 51 miles per hour without a single soul aboard the train. The greatest danger was that the train would either hit vehicles at an unmarked crossing, as it wouldn't be able to blow its horn to warn the vehicles, run into an, either a moving or a stopped train and cause a massive wreck, or that the train would derail at a high speed and a populated area, but potentially putting many lives at risk. For two hours, people tried to stop the train in a number of ways, from trying to jump onto the train to derailing the train using portable derailers, to my personal favorite, having police officers shoot at the fuel shutoff, which is right next to the fuel tank, of course, using buckshot. <laughs> Nothing worked. Finally, a northbound freight train was directed onto a siding where the crew uncoupled its locomotive and waited for the runaway train to pass. The soon-to-be heroic engine had a crew of two, Jesse Knowlton, an engineer with 31 years of experience, and Terry Forson, a conductor with one year of experience. Together, they chased the runaway train. Knowlton and Forson successfully coupled onto the rear car and slowed the train by applying the dynamic brakes on the chase locomotive. Once the runaway train had slowed to 11 miles per hour, a train master ran alongside the train, climbed aboard, and shut down the engine. The train was stopped at Ohio State Route 31 crossing just southeast of Kenton, Ohio. All the brake shoes on the runaway train had been destroyed by the heat from being applied throughout the runaway trip. Now the beauty of this story is that all the people who tried to stop the runaway train, whether successful or unsuccessful, were acting on behalf of people they could not see and didn't even know. People further down the tracks who would be in harm's way. This motivation ultimately led Knowlton and Forsen to try an extremely risky maneuver, ultimately putting their own lives at risk for the sake of people they could not see, of which they had never even met. And it raises the question, church, what does it look like for us to act selflessly on behalf of people we haven't even met yet? Last week, we launched our Unstoppable Stewardship Initiative, where we are looking to grow our faith and to restore our church's financial health. But what we realize is this isn't really about money. It isn't about what did or didn't happen in our church's past. We are doing something risky because we believe that there are people further down the tracks from us who we can't even see yet, who we don't even know yet, who need to meet Jesus Christ. 
and that they will come to faith as, as the work of our church moves forward. There are single moms who are struggling to get by and looking for answers. There are families trying to figure out how to navigate this brave new world out there who are looking for hope. There are widows who are lonely and looking for purpose. There are children and youth who have no hope of hearing about Jesus unless we take steps of faith to reach them. Church, how will we act towards the people we cannot see yet? To the people that are further down the tracks than us? Will we take risks to assure that they know the gospel of Jesus Christ? Last week, we began taking a look at, uh, at a church in the New Testament that was known for their generosity, the church at Philippi, and the letter to them that we have in the New Testament book called Philippians. And we began by looking at the unstoppable partnership that they had with the gospel. And of course, that famous phrase, that, that promise that Paul wrote to them, that he who began a good work to, in you will be faithful to carry it into completion. We talked about how God is faithful to finish what he has started in us. That he who began a good work in you, he will be the one to carry it. And how great of a promise that is, it's not just to you, but it's to y'all, all y'all, all, all of us together. That God started a great work in the life of East Point, and he's going to be the one that's faithful to carry it. It's not on the shoulders of Dustin Fulton or on our elders or on all of us. It's squarely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. The same shoulders who carried the cross is carrying our church. And so today we look at the idea in chapter 2 of Philippians of unstoppable humility. We don't tend to think of humility as something that's unstoppable. In fact, it's pretty easy to stop humility in my life. I know that the moment that somebody says, wow, you're such a humble guy, immediately my humility is gone and it is exchanged into pride. It's just gone. But here's what Paul says to this generous church. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, pretty much to wrap up what Paul's saying here, if you have been blessed in any way by Christ... If you have seen any type of change in your life, in your hope, in your love as a result of Jesus Christ, then here is how you are to respond. And we see first here that we reach out because Christ has reached out to us. This is the whole reason why we do what we do as a church. We don't do this trying to earn God's love. We do this because we have already received God's love. People who have been reached by Christ reach out for Christ because we have accepted and believe in the love of Christ and want to share it with everyone. So he goes on to say, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Paul gets an extreme amount of joy from pastoring people, from leading people further down the tracks of faith. That's something that I've experienced as well. When we see that people grow in their faith, that is the biggest gift that you can ever give to a pastor or to an elder is to take steps of faith that help you to grow in your faith because we see that. 
And when we see that, it helps make our joy complete. But here's how he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. That being of like-minded is that same word koinonia, that partnership word that we looked at last week when it talked about our partnership in the gospel. That's all great, but here's where it gets tough. The next verse, it says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. How much are we supposed to do out of selfish ambition and vain conceit? Nothing. Wow, that's a tough one, isn't it? Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul, don't you know of TikTok? What are we supposed to do about that? I mean, this is the world that we live in where everything we do tends to be uh, hyper self-centered, uh, hyper-centric upon ourselves. And yet we're instructed to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It is so countercultural to what we've been taught. But he gives us something that we are to do instead. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but rather, instead of that, is what he's saying, in humility, value others above yourselves. Now, when he says value others above yourselves, he's not saying to us that we should neglect our self-esteem or our self-worth. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. I think when he's talking about this, we as Christians should have our self-esteem and our self-worth from the fact that the Most High God has loved us and has given his life for us. And as a result of that, we have a new identity that is in Christ. And because of this new identity that we take on in Christ, we have the same character as Christ. Just as Christ gave himself for others, so now we can give ourselves. For others. Just as Christ gave himself for us, now we can give ourselves for others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, as it says here in Philippians 2. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, looking not to your own interests, but to each of you the interests of others. So don't look at your own interests, but look to the interests of of others. I've heard it said that it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Think about that. I was reminded as Rachel was sharing her story, as some of uh, Kristen and I, when we first met, about how driving down the road, we didn't always know the same music, but we loved listening to each other's music. It was one of the best ways that we could get to know each other. We were looking at the interests of the other person. It was easy to do at that point in the relationship. Fortunately, we, our taste in music stays the same at this point. Otherwise, we would be fighting over the dial left and right. It's not about thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis has said, if you meet a truly humble person, he will not be thinking about humility he will not be thinking about himself at all. 
And as we grow in Christ, this is the desire, is that rather than thinking of ourselves more and more and how we can satisfy our own desires, that rather our view turns outwardly, rather than looking in the mirror all the time and thinking about all the things that we can do for ourselves, we ought to be looking out the window instead and seeing how what God has blessed us with, how we can use that as a blessing to others, whether it be our time, treasure, talents, however we do it, that we can be a blessing to other people with everything that we have and all that we do. Maybe the best way to say it is this. You get the best value out of life by putting God and others first. You get the best value out of life by putting God and others first. Again, we do this because Christ has put us first. He has put us at the forefront of what he did on this earth in order to save us and redeem us and to help transform us and to his likeness. And so now we get the best value out of life by putting God and others first. Think about this in marriage. What happens when I put the needs of my spouse first? Well, it probably helps to put the toilet seat down at night, as Rachel mentioned there. That's probably something that would be good for me to do. The needs of my neighbors. What does it mean to put them first? When I look at see my to-do list, but I, do not, but I know that they need help, how can I serve them? When it comes to serving at church, when I see as I'm getting older now, the needs of the next generation, how is it that I can best serve them in order to help them grow in their faith so that they can carry on this faith after I'm long dead and gone? But when it comes to finances, as this is a stewardship series after all, how can I put God first financially? What does that look like? Well, let me give you the starting point today. And just the starting point of this, I believe that I can put God first financially by giving him my first and my best. By giving him my first and my best. And I want to encourage you as we look at this stewardship series and this emphasis, I want to encourage you to take a selfless giving journey with me. This is something that we can all jump on at some point along this path. Because whenever we think of giving back to God, oftentimes we think about how hard that would be to do. But really, it's just like any other way that we grow in our faith. We take it steps of faith at a time. We take one step after another. And so the selfless giving journey is this. The first step is simply give something. Give something back to God. That could be something one time. It could be something that you do and you say, you know what, I'm going to try one time to give something back to God. The second step is to give something regularly. Make that a habit. So in other words, instead of, instead of just saying, well, I'm going to give something every once in a while, what if I did something every week? What if I did something every month? Then the next step is to give a tithe, which in the Bible, a tithe is a concept, what we're taught in the New Testament that's affirmed, excuse me, a, tithe, a principle that's taught in the Old Testament that's affirmed in the New Testament where we give a tenth of what we have back to God. The fourth step is to give radically. There's no cap at a tithe. There's nothing that says that's all that we should do, but that's just a, a principle that we have. And in the New Testament, we see this radical generosity where they helped each other in times where they needed to by giving radically. This is where I really appreciate people like Rick Warren. You know Rick Warren... Uh, He's, a, he's been the pastor and wrote The Purpose Driven Life, which ended up selling 
uh, tens of millions of copies. And he wound up uh, very rich as a result of writing this book. But after he started, the money started to come in, the royalty checks started to come in, he made a few decisions that were critical to helping him maintain his integrity. The first decision that he made was that he wasn't going to change his standard of living. And for the longest time, he kept on driving his 1994 Ford Explorer and didn't replace it. This was the early 2000s. I imagine he's replaced it by now because upkeep on a 1994 Ford Explorer is starting to get pretty expensive. But he kept his main standard of living, kept living in the same house he did and everything else. Uh, but then uh, he started a new, uh, new foundation where they worked on taking the gospel to places that the gospel hadn't been and by reaching unreached people. And then one of the other steps that he took, and he took several steps, and I'm making it shorter for you today. The final step that he took was that he made a principle to reverse tithe, to be a reverse tither. Now you say, well, what's reverse tithe? Is that when you take 10% out of the offering plate when it's passed? Is that the way that works? No, no, that's not the way it works. What he did was he made a commitment, since he was at a point in his life where he could do this, was to tithe 90% of what he got and to live off 10%. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? But let me tell you what else is remarkable in that. While he sets a great example for us, I don't believe that he would be the example that Jesus chose for us today. Because when Jesus chooses to talk about giving, what he does is he looks in Luke 21 at the poorest widow in the temple. And this poor widow, she only had two copper coins with her. In essence, two pennies. That's all she had, and she went and she gave them in the offering. And Jesus said, be like her. Be like her. She's the example. Not the wealthy people that we like to put on TV when they give their billions away. But Jesus says, if you want to get an example in giving, look at her. She gave of all that she had to give. Now, we talk about the concept of tithing, and I know that might be a bizarre concept for some of you. It was something that I was simply raised with. It was something that I saw my parents doing, and so it was something that was just natural for me. Uh, and so, so I do want to say out there, I know that sometimes uh, for those people who do tithe can get frustrated with people who don't tithe. And I just want to say to you for a second, if you are tithing and it's easy to get frustrated with people who don't, remember that everybody's on a journey. People come to faith at a different point in time in their lives. People have different examples in their lives. Uh, and it's not, a, if, if we start looking down on people who don't tithe, then what happens is we first lose our influence to be able to really impact them in a good way. But secondly, what we do is we can become quite arrogant. And that's really important for us to remember because the Pharisees were very good at tithing, but very bad at following Jesus, weren't they? And so we must be very careful and recognize that tithing should not lead us to a point of pride, but tithing should lead us to a place of humility. So here's what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7 through 12 about tithing. The Lord is speaking and he says, return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how, will we to how are we to return? And he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be 
uh, food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now think of this, God saying this, like you're robbing me is what he's saying. And I think of like Shaquille O'Neal is like the biggest figure that I can picture in my mind, right? Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot, two inches tall. Who knows how much he weighs now that he's retired? Big dude, right? Think about like a little kid going up and trying to pickpocket Shaquille O'Neal. Would that be a very good idea? No, I don't think so. And the same way is true with us and God. Like we've got God who it says in scripture that he's, he's like on our side, like he is for us. He wants to bless us. So why would we be trying to rob him? But instead, what it says here is he's not coming down and insulting, do this or else. But what he's saying, if you do this, you will be extremely blessed. If you do this, I will pour open the floodgates of heaven. I'll protect your crops. I'll tell you what else he'll do for us is I think that if we do this, that he can protect our hearts from this world. That might be the greatest promise of all is that he helps us to become more like him through this. I know oftentimes it's it's one thing to hear the preacher say it. It's something else to hear somebody else say it. Uh, And Jennifer Geiger wrote this and she asked, uh, she shared it with me and I asked if uh, I could share it. And she wants to share with this uh, tithing message uh, for you, uh, with you, about her growth. She says, I think we all understand the meaning behind the purpose of the tithe. What I think we don't understand is the simple method involved in getting us to this level of giving. So I wanted to share my story of how I went from giving a token amount each week to 10% plus, showing you how easy it can be for you too. It all started several years ago when I was living in another city raising three young active children. The minister at my local church gave a sermon on tithing suggesting each family should try it. I thought, no way, I can't tithe, that would not withstand my budget. And to my surprise, he said I was right. There was no way I could just jump into tithing 10% of my income. Like many folks, I was already living on a tight budget and the meager amount I gave each week was already stretching my tight budget. But what he did suggest is what I want to share. He suggested that I gradually increase my giving until I reached the goal of 10%. He said I should start by adding a few dollars to what I was already giving, then take inventory and see if I experienced any problems in meeting my other expenses. So I started increasing my weekly giving from $10 to $15, and after noticing no difficulties in the financial department, I increased it again, this time to $20. Little by little, week after week, I increased the amount. Sometimes it was only a couple of dollars. Sometimes it was more. But in each case, I noticed no difficulty in meeting my other financial obligations. Over the next few months, I continued to increase the amount until I reached the amount reflecting 10% of my income. I was amazed. Though I had had no increase in my income, I was still able to pay my bills, all the while giving back 10% of my income. In Malachi, God says we are robbing him when we fail to tithe and tells us to bring the whole tithe into his house. He says that we can test him on this because when we give to him, he pours out his blessings on us. So failure to tithe can actually cost us more than when we tithe. And so Jennifer concludes by saying, so my challenge to you is to test him on this yourself. 
You don't have to jump into the full tithe. Try increasing your giving a little each week until you build up to the tithe amount. In doing so, you give back to God what he gave to you in the first place. Try it. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And so as we begin to wrap up this morning, I want to challenge you a couple of ways. First of all, on April 3rd, which is our Giving Sunday, which is our kickoff for the campaign, our kickoff Giving Sunday, we want to, we want to encourage you to consider giving in the following three ways. The first is courageously. We're challenging each family to give the largest gift that they've ever given to a church on a single Sunday, on Sunday, April 3rd. That's a one-time gift. The second way, after courageously, is to give consistently. And that is giving weekly or monthly in a way that's, repeat, that's repetitive. That's, again, part of that next step in tithing and in giving. And then finally, to give creatively. Sell something that's of value, give it to the church. That's something that maybe we have something laying around that we're not of use anymore that's of some value. We can think of some creative ways in order to sell something to give it. Some people are even doing stocks, which is something that's a great way to give to the church. And we've got some ways to do that that are, I'm supposed to say, that are tax, uh, tax advantages and everything else uh, if you want to do that. So those three ways, courageously, consistently, and creatively. Our home run goal for this campaign, our 25-month campaign, is $500,000. Our grand slam goal is $1 million. With your help, we can hit those numbers. We can change the financial course of this church. And most importantly, we can see people come to faith in Christ as the work of this church expands. Right now, I want to invite Christy Brown up to share her story of how God has blessed her and Scott throughout this campaign and how God is uh, working uh, in order to grow them uh, in their grace of giving as well. Christy? I know that you can do anything and nothing can stop you. Job 42, verse 2. And I love that verse. I love that we are talking. I, when I read that, I'm talking about our God and that he wants and can and does do that through me and all of you here at East Point. I'm very excited about this initiative that we're about to do or that we are that we are doing so that each one of us can see only God can moments as he uses us our time, our talents and our treasures. And watching him do this through our church individually and in our families and corporately is very exciting to me. Well, I also want to tell you that during this campaign, as we're all trying to figure out how much to give, praying about, talking about, in our family, we're also, we've also already hit the retirement button that I've kind of talked about possibly happening. Well, it's happening. So as we are looking at our finances and how they need to adjust in our spending, we're also looking about and, and praying about and asking God about how do you want us to give that amazing kickoff gift? Well, Scott and I, we did discuss it and we came up with an amount that we um, felt that God was saying to us. And we 
where we were going to take that was from a savings that we were doing for our retirement. And we felt really good about that number. And so we said, okay, well, that's done. That feels really good. You know, well, then um, the stretching began. And it wasn't that we didn't hear God's amount the first time, but that he says, what if I say something different of where that money's coming from and how you're going to give it? So I said, okay. <laughs> um, the two words he gave me was first fruits. And as time went by and I thought, I thought through that, he allowed me to see that he was asking us now to give really what he had given to us in that job that I shared a couple weeks ago. He's asking for the first fruits of that job. So we took that to mean January 3rd until we have to write that check for the kickoff campaign. And that sounds so exciting to us. And so that's what we're going to give. My story, our story, is not about the amount we're giving, but that we're asking him, listening to him, and being obedient to what he then says. We're so thankful to our God. And even the rest of the story that I wasn't even planning to have but do, this is what God did. So Scott and I came up with that amount, and we did our meeting with Pastor on this past Monday to share with him what God has given and to fill out that commitment card, what God has asked us to give. Well, the very next day, Scott and I did some errands, and we went to pick up our taxes, to which when we dropped them off, and our tax accountant said, okay, really quickly, roughly, I see that this is how much you're probably going to need to give to federal. So we're, we're planning and preparing that as we go to pick them up um, for that amount. And do you know what? We're giving nothing because God decided to give to us. And the number that came was not a, a negative but a big positive, surprisingly, miraculously, he gave back to us when we were obedient and gave to him. That's how he works. I praise his name and I thank him for our story. At the end of that passage in Philippians chapter 2, here's how Paul concludes it. He says, in your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, we respond to God graciously and generously in every aspect of our life for one reason and one reason only. It's because before we did anything, he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for that love. We're thankful for that grace. We're thankful, Lord, how you have watched over us and provided for us every step of the way.
And Lord, we remember last week that you have started a good work in us at East Point. And we know that you will be faithful to carry us to completion. And we look forward to how we can be a part of that in every way. And Lord, right now we continue to pray for our giving situation, that you would lay on our hearts what you would have for each of us to give. That you would not have us feeling under compulsion, but out of joy. That you would help us to respond by giving generously. Lord, we look forward to what you have in store for this church. As our world starts to recover from COVID, as people start to come back to church, as we start to see more and more people seeking you out, we pray, Lord, that we would be a light for you because you have first come and been a light for us, because you have first loved us, because you have given your son for us. We thank you and we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, as we wrap up the service today, I want to let you know about a few things. First of all, uh, if you are interested in being a senior saint, tomorrow night at 6 p.m. we have a meal together. For anyone who's interested in the senior saints, uh, you can just bring a dish to share. They'll meet out here in the atrium, uh, and we'd love to see you there. Uh, next, when you came in today, you might have received a train ticket. If not, you can go back to the train table uh, and receive one of these. These are about our All Aboard Vision events, where you can come find out more about our campaign and why we're doing this and how we're doing this. Uh, we have two events left, one this coming Wednesday at 6.30 p.m., which is desserts. So if you've got a sweet tooth, that is the one you want to come to. All right, it's here in the atrium, 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday or Sunday, March 20th. This coming Sunday, 12.15 p.m., we will have a potluck after church. Just bring a dish to share. We'll have some fun. We play some games together. Uh, we have a good time, but most importantly, we hear more about what God's leading us to do. Uh, if you want to sign up for this, you can just tear off the side of this ticket over here and sign up, or you can take a picture with your phone, and it takes about 30 seconds to go online and to sign up. That would help us to know that you are coming, uh, but please come anyway. We'd love to see you either way, Wednesday night or Sunday after church. So pick up one of these, and if you want any uh, wristbands that will help you remind you to pray during our 30 days of prayer that we're doing here, our month of prayer for our Unstoppable campaign, or a reminder or a fridge magnet, just stop by uh, the table back there. Uh, there's also candy for your kids or for you if you've got a sweet tooth too. Uh, so stop by there and talk to the nice people who are volunteering at our train table back there in the back. All right, I think that is all that I have for you today. So if you would, please stand with me and uh, I'll bless you as we go. May the Lord bless each of us with the humility of Christ, the humility to see the image of God in each person that we see, just as God has seen the humanity in each one of us. Go in peace.